evening again for the privilege of prayer. And now as we gather in this evening service, we pray that you would just minister among us. May we sense your presence. May we sense your peace and your anointing upon our worship and upon the proclamation of your word. We pray for those that will listen online this evening and tomorrow that they might just receive strength as they listen to this service. Now, Lord, we commit everything to you. We ask that you would guide and direct. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We welcome you to our service this evening. We're so glad that you've gathered out tonight to worship with us. We recognize there are a lot of changes and restrictions. But I want to thank this congregation for your kindness and your understanding during this most difficult time. We want to give a special welcome to those who are watching online and we pray that as you do, you will sense God's presence as you worship with us. We certainly want to welcome Pastor Brian and Beverly Moss with us. I'm not sure where, oh, there they are. Let's welcome them. They're moving here like we hope for good. We want to welcome them. So glad to have them with us this evening in the service. As well, there are a few announcements that we need to stress. You will notice in your bulletin concerning the returning of the Samaritan purse shoe boxes. The times are there where they can be dropped off here at the church, around the back of the church. And if those hours do not work for you, you can contact Sister Pam Brennan and she will make arrangements for a drop-off for you. As well, for the Christmas aid, Christmas hampers, applications are available. You can call the church office and Krista will take care of that for you. As well, our Christmas food bank Sunday and coming up, we want you to keep that in mind. And there are a number of announcements in the bulletin that we want you to read and adhere to. We certainly want to pray for Pastor and Mrs. Patty this evening or members of our congregation. And this morning, their daughter Lynette passed suddenly away. They're pastoring in New Brunswick. Pastor is suddenly away. And Pastor Mrs. Patty and her family need our prayers at this moment. And we're going to be praying for them in a little while that God would sustain them and sustain this family during this most difficult time. We thank Brother Doug. He's going to lead us in our worship this evening. And let's just praise God that we can trust in Him. Even when we go through difficult times, he has promised never to leave us nor to forsake us. We're going to sing in Christ alone. As we do, let's stand. We recognize that uh, we are required to wear a face mask and we sing according to our government. Just remember that this evening as we sing in Christ alone. Let's stand this evening. In Christ alone,
Jesus the Nazarene, the wonder how he could love me, a sinner and in my pain. I'm so thankful to know that I am a sinner and in my pain. And that God came in, where this wrath was blood on me, changed me and cleansed me. So thankful for that tonight. Stand as we sing.
before you this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your presence that is in this place. Lord, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you, God, for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. That we might have a relationship with you, that we might have access to you at any moment in time. Father, tonight as we look again at our prayer list and across this room as there are many needs, Lord, we know there is only one answer, and that is a touch from your hand. And Father, we come before you this evening, Lord. We ask boldly, God, for a supernatural touch from heaven this evening. We ask, Father, that you will do the exceedingly abundantly of all that we ask or think. I pray, God, that you would do what is seemingly impossible in our minds at this moment. Lord, I pray for those who need healing. Lord, we believe what your word says, that by your stripes we are healed. I pray right now for those that are in this room. I pray for those that are in hospital rooms this evening. Those that may be listening online. I pray right now that by the supernatural power of God, that they would sense the healing power of Christ upon their lives right now. And we speak right now to that sickness that go in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those, Lord, who may be addicted in chains of bondage, Lord. We just sang about it, Lord. We know that you have the power to set people free. And we pray right now, Lord, there's someone that may be listening online that want to be free. We pray right now in the name of Jesus that they will be free at this moment. That they will know, Lord, as the scripture says, that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Father, we give you all the glory and all the Lord, we pray for those who need restoration this evening. We pray, God, that you will pick up the broken pieces and you will put them back together. And we pray, Lord, for those who are under the attack of the enemy today. We pray, Father, that you will put a hedge of protection around them right now. And we pray, Lord, no weapon that is formed against the child of God who prosper in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we stand upon your word. We stand upon your promises. And we give you all the glory. Father, we pray, Lord, for the preaching of your word this evening. We ask, Lord, that your hand will be upon our pastor again as he comes and to deliver that which you have laid upon his heart. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be open again to receive from you and to hear your voice. And I pray, Father, that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word as well. Father, speak your truth into our lives and change and transform us, we pray. Lord, we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a hand that will praise this
some time over the years struggling and wrestling with God. Over different things as the pastor preached this morning, wondering what things happen the way they do. You know what I realized? I got as close, so much closer to God. Even though I was wrestling with him and struggling with things, his love was so much stronger. He won't ever trouble with me. I'm so glad for that tonight. I pray this little course just listen to words and sing along with your mass and you know. Sometimes it takes my
Amen. How good it is this evening to feel the presence of God and to know that God is with us. Before we spend some time with our children, I have two announcements. The first one is tomorrow night and Tuesday night we'll be having Kids Alive and Connect Junior Youth. So make sure you get your children and your grandchildren signed up online. We're almost full, if not full, for Tuesday, but we do have quite a bit of space left for tomorrow night. So please keep that in mind. As well for the ladies, we are having a Christmas banquet, and uh, the details are in your bulletin. We only have 80 spots available, as that is the restriction set up by the hotel that we're going to, so you'll want to get your tickets early to avoid disappointment. So please come by the office this week and pick them up, so you won't be disappointed if we do run into space. So please keep that in mind. We want to thank you again today for bringing your children out to church and uh, we know that God will honor you for doing that. We have a video we're talking this evening about Daniel and we have a short video that we want our boys and girls to take a look at, those of you that are here, and then we have something special to give out of you. Thrown into the lion. 
its dead. The king said to him, May your God, who you serve faithfully, rescue you. Then the lion's den was sealed shut with Daniel inside. The king spent the night fasting and couldn't sleep. Then very early in the morning, the king hurried to the lion's den. He called out, Was your God able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, Long live the king! My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be taken out of the lions' den. Then the king ordered the men who had schemed against Daniel to be thrown into the lions' den as punishment. Daniel was safe. There was not a scratch on him, for he trusted in God. This story emphasizes the power of God. And we see how Daniel was thrown into a den of lions, and I don't know about you, but I would want to be around a group of lions. And we see how God rescued Daniel. We have for you this evening, for those children that are here, some Daniel and the Lions Den activities and some coloring pencils that we don't want back. And we all know that lions, tigers, bears are vicious animals. So tonight we have some bear paws for all of you as well that you can have for a snack. And uh, Pastor Grant will probably help me get those out. And uh, we just want to thank you again for bringing your boys and girls to church this evening. righteousness and a wicked 
man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Our text verse is verse 18. It is good to grasp the one and not the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Title of our message this evening is The Preacher's Questions. The Preacher's Questions. Let's pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, I pray. And give us liberty to share that which you have placed upon our hearts for this day, in this congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most misunderstood books in all of the Bible. Christians have tended either to ignore the message of the book or to regard it as the testimony of a man living apart from God. This is very unfortunate because the book asks relevant questions, searching questions about the meaning of life, the meaning of death, and the meaning of eternity. Like all scripture, the book of Ecclesiastes benefits and edifies God's people, those who will read the words of the book. Scholars have declared that the book is one of the Old Testament wisdom books, along with the book of Proverbs and the book of Job. Wisdom literature emphasizes the role of the individual pleasing God beyond the requirements of the law. The instructions in these books identify ways for God's people to live successfully according to His Word. From a human perspective, the two wisest men that ever lived was Solomon and Jesus Christ. But the New Testament gladly and clearly declares that a greater than Solomon is here, referring to Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. In this portion of scripture that I read to you this evening, Solomon the king is asking some very pertinent questions. Questions that play all of our minds. Things that we wonder about when it refers to life and life hereafter. You see, instead of taking God at his word, that we live in a fallen world where life only has meaning when acted out against a backdrop of God's presence. Solomon decided to test the theory for himself. What is his conclusion? Life has meaning only when God is in the context of it all. Somewhere along the way, Solomon set out a journey to find the meaning of life and the meaning of death. Solomon had money. He had possessions. He had wives. He had wisdom. He knew kindness and work and accomplishments. He understood the values of society and the world that he lived in. But Solomon came to realize that life is like a blink of an eye 
certainly does have meaning. God created life and breathed into the nostrils of man the very breath of life and made him a living soul. Solomon begins the book by saying the words of the preacher. The title preacher literally means one who assembles or one who gathers people together. Thus the word refers to Solomon as a person who conveyed an assembly of the wise in order to explore in a formal manner the meaning of life. There are none of us here tonight, regardless how spiritual we may think we are, but there are none of us here tonight that have not asked the question, why? We have all wondered, why do things happen like they happen? course, over my years of ministry, I have had to ask why. When during our early ministry, I was called out in the middle of the night to a home where a drunken father had beaten his wife bloody, and I went to look for his three children, didn't know where they were, only to find them under the bed, shivering in fear of their drunken father. And I had to ask the question, why? When I had to visit grandparents in the middle of the night and inform them that their grandson, while getting off work in a fish plant in New Brunswick, was struck by a drunk, drunk, drunk driver and was killed instantly. When I had to visit a son, knock on his door at 6 p.m. in the evening with the youth pastor by my side and tell him, sorry sir, but your mom and dad on their way back from Gander hit a transport truck and both your mom and your dad are gone out into eternity. I know what it is to visit a mother and tell her her only son has just died by suicide. I know what it is to go in and visit a mother and break the news to her. Your daughter who was pregnant and her husband has gone through the ice in the exploits river and they have drowned. And I know what it is to walk with them through that horrific time. I know what it is to visit a home where a mother wakes up in the early morning, goes into the bedroom, and finds her six-week-old baby that died throughout the night by crib death. I know what it is to walk with a mother whose son was murdered and stabbed to death meanly, meaningly by somebody else. And I've had to step back and say, oh God, why? And every one of us in this service tonight, at some point in our lives, have had the questions, why? Here is Solomon, he's dealing with some difficult questions that are still being asked today. And I want to explore the questions that he asked tonight. Firstly, he asked the question, why is life not fair? In this scripture, he says, in this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness, and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. If there is one problem that life demands a mature perspective, it is this. Why do the righteous suffer? and the wicked prosper. The good die young, while the wicked seem to enjoy long lives. It seems contrary to the justice of God and the Word of God. Didn't God tell the people that if they were obedient, they'd live long lives? In Exodus chapter 20, 
Didn't he say that the disobedient would perish according to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and Psalms 55? We ask why. In order for us to understand the questions of life, we have to return to the Garden of Eden. It was God's intention and God's plan from the beginning to place man in a garden of peace, prosperity, and perfection. Man would not be affected by the sweat of his brow. He would not be affected by sickness. And he would not be affected by sin. It was a place where God would allow man to be whole. Whole in his mind. Whole in his body. Whole in his spirit. There would be no separation. There would be no shame. There would be no stress. And there would be no sickness. So I want to say at the beginning of this message this evening, God's intent from the beginning of creation was that man would live in the Garden of Eden where there was peace and tranquility. That was God's desire for mankind. But I want to say this evening, whether we believe it or not, man chose a different path. There are a lot of people listening to me tonight in this sanctuary and maybe online. You say, but God, we have everybody blaming God, blaming His Word, blaming Him for the problems that we are facing in this hour. But let's go back to the Garden of Eden. It was God's intent that there would be no corruption or disease or controversy in our world. But man lived in a disobedient state and listened to the serpent. And in doing so, sin entered the world. The serpent comes in the garden in chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. And says, did God really say? Right from the beginning of time, the devil questioned the word of God. Did God really say? Verse 4, you will not surely die. The Bible says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good to eat and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took of it and ate of it and gave to her husband who was with her. Solomon is saying, why is life not fair? We can't blame God today for the conditions of our world. The conditions of our world are the result of choices made by humanity. Therefore, today, sin entered the world. At the moment sin entered the world, we see here very clearly, and at the moment sin entered the world, and the fall of man occurred. Verse 23 says, So the Lord God banished man from the garden of Eden. This was the turning point in the history of humanity. He no longer lived in a perfect world, but in an imperfect world. He had ruined relationships and man needed to be reconciled to God. The whole order of things were turned upside down. We have people today blaming God. Where is God? There is so much famine. There is so much disease. There is so much corruption. Where is God? Can I say today, without anybody contradicting what I'm going to say, we have asked God to leave our governments. We have asked Him to leave our schools. We have asked Him to get out of our lives. And then we wonder why He's not present. Hear me. God is ever present. He's waiting for you to call out to Him. But man has chosen a different path. Amen. 
We believe according to the scriptures that man is born in sin. Some of you say, Pastor, we don't believe that's old-fashioned. Hear me. The Bible says man is born in sin, shaken in iniquity. We got a twin of boys. They're 23 years old. But they weren't very old when I discovered that their grandfather was Adam. They weren't very old before they could talk. I realized that the sin nature was a part of their lives. When one of the boys took the chop from the other one, and my boy, who was a year and a half, was ready to give him the fist. Now, none of your children ever did that, because they're perfect. But my children did. And I recognized at that moment the results of the fall of man is in my family because of Adam. And that's why today life is not fair. As we look at the Word of God, we go to Psalms chapter 73. Asaph deals with this very same issue. He looks at life in Psalms 73. And he questions, why is God not fair? He sees the prosperity of the wicked. He sees their peace. He sees their pride. He sees their popularity. And he becomes disturbed in his spirit. Why is this happening? And why is God so unfair? But the Bible says while he was envying the sinner, it wasn't until he entered the sanctuary. But once he entered the sanctuary, he said, then I understood their end. And I understood that while the wicked may prosper for a while, there is an eternity that lies before every man. And for those who know God, they see the beginning and the ending, regardless of what life may bring you along our way. The question why we have it so free and good here in the West. Am I better than my brothers in North Korea tonight? I'm able to stand behind this pulpit and preach the uncompromising gospel. While my brothers and sisters in North Korea tonight are in hiding because they cannot preach the gospel freely. Am I better than they are? No, I'm not. They, sometimes I said it, and I said it this morning, there are times I hope I'm not near these brothers when they stand at the judgment bar of God for giving their lives for the gospel. The fact of the matter is, I'm not better than they are, I just live in the West. But the fact of the matter is, life is unfair, whether it's in North America or whether it is in Asia. Life is unfair at times because of the fall of man in the garden of Eden. It is true that an unsaved person may have health, they may have wealth, and they may have worldly success, but if they don't have the most important thing, and that is a present and an eternal relationship with the God who created them and changed them by the blood of Christ and the cross. Many years ago, I received a book from Morris Sorello, many of you would remember him, watching him on television down through the years. Maybe 30 years ago now, I received the book. This week, as I studied the scripture, I remembered the book and I found it in my library, pulled it off the shelf. Morris Sorello asked the question, why do the righteous suffer? He said, A. Adam's disobedience opened the door for suffering, but Jesus in his suffering has borne the results of the transgression and the disobedience that we never have to bear it. T.D. Jakes was once asked, why is life so unfair? He answered, not with a great theological answer, but he says, as a believer, I'm a winner either way. Life may not always be fair. Christ is with us, and he is 
our hope even in difficult circumstances. It is a time to trust God to grow spiritually and impact others with what we have learned. You see, we live in a broken world. The world grows. The Bible says in the New Testament that even creation is groaning for renewal. It is groaning for renewal. Therefore, this world grows, waiting itself for the redemption when Christ is revealed. God is taking even our tragedies to help us form godly character. The scripture affirms the truth that God takes our difficulties and uses them to form strong character. How do I know you ask? Well, the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, he spoke of the glory of our sufferings. He said suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Therefore, because of the fall of man, life is unfair. I read a story, you won't find it in the scriptures, but I read a story. The writer said that Cain asked his father Adam one day. Cain said to his father Adam, Dad, why are we not living in the Garden of Eden? Adam said, well, your mother ate us out of house and home. Well, that's kind of true. The Bible says she ate of the fruit. But the man, when you read the New Testament, it is always the man who is called the disobedient one. He was with her, the Bible says, and also did eat of the fruit. And because of the disobedience, sin in the world, God did everything he could to make man's condition his possession. His surroundings, absolutely perfect in every minute detail. But with that one wife, with that one act, what Adam did was take the keys of dominion and his lordship of his planet voluntarily over into the evil hands of Satan. And therefore today, why is life unfair? It is because sin has entered our world and sin will bring death and will bring destruction. Second question that Solomon asks, why destroy your life? He says, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Few verses in Ecclesiastes are more interpreted incorrect than these verses. There is those who call this the golden verse, which means you don't really have to be too holy and you don't have to be too wicked. Sin in moderate degree. The preacher here is not talking about moderation. The preacher here is warning against character and integrity and men and women who will not follow true character and integrity. The Hebrew verb for being wise may be rendered, think yourself wise. Being overly righteous means in the Hebrew, righteous in your own eyes or self-righteousness. Proverbs chapter 3 and 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. We can see in the Hebrew text, the verbs that this verse carry is an idea of a reflexive action. Solomon said to his people, don't claim to be righteous and don't claim to be wise. In other words, he was warning them of self-righteousness and the pride that comes when we think we have arrived and we're better than everyone else. Solomon was condemning the self-righteousness of the hypocrite and the false wisdom of the proud. And he warned that these sins will lead to death. 
and destruction. This is a warning against self-righteousness, and properly so. Self-righteousness is an attitude of people who regard themselves as righteous because of the things they do not do. We need to be known not only as people that do not do things. We need to be known as people that do things. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. We are to be people of the word and people of love, compassion, and forgiveness. Here today, so many people live in a self-righteous attitude. Somebody said, one preacher said, don't judge me because I sin differently than you. Every one of us, some of us have broken the law. Some of us have caught fish without a license. Some of us have collected income tax when we shouldn't have claimed the income tax. Some of us have been on unemployment insurance when we shouldn't have been on unemployment insurance. Some of us have been backbiters and we have been slanderers. We have been thieves and stealers, sexually immoral. But hear me, only because of the grace of God have I redeemed today. I love the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ has cleansed me from all sin. And therefore, I stand today not as a Therefore tonight, I don't look at someone else and think I'm better than they are. Guess what? I like what the old preacher said. It's a hundred years old, but it's just as real. When he said the ground is a level at the cross of Jesus Christ, it is true. The Bible is full of warnings. Proverbs chapter 16, pride goes before destruction. Proverbs 29 23, one's pride will bring them low. James chapter 4 and verse 6. Listen to what James says. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus, again referring to self-righteousness in Matthew's Gospel chapter 23. He looked at the religious leaders of the day. He said, well, what do you scribes and Pharisees? You hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs which are on the outside appearing beautiful, but inside they're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. But Solomon is saying, why destroy your life? Why live in an over-righteous, self-righteous attitude? Over-wise, being a proud individual, it will destroy you. Obadiah the prophet, verses 5 to 9. The prophet warns Edom of their pride and tells them results of their wealth will be plundered and their relationships will be broken and their army will be defeated. Jesus gives a warning of self-righteousness in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. We see a self-righteous Pharisee obsessed by his own virtue and contrast with the tax collector the publican who humbly asked God for mercy. But the Pharisee says in his self-righteousness, I'm glad I'm not like he is. Jesus then clearly says, no one is justified by their own merits. Hear me today, none of us, there is no good, no, not one. Psalms 14 and Romans 3 declares, no one will get to heaven by saying to God, well, I wasn't perfect, but then again, I wasn't terribly, terribly sinful. The very common and self-righteous assumption by many, the only reason I will inherit my eternal inheritance is because of a man named Jesus Christ who shed his blood for the sins of the world, and I received him as 
my Savior and my name is inscribed in the Lamb's great book of life. You see, there is a consistent position in Scripture. Old and New Testament alike, we are not to withdraw from the world in an attempt to escape its evil. But then we are not to gather robes of righteousness about ourselves and look down our noses in disdain at everyone else. But we are to hold in true righteousness. And remember, we are only righteous today because of the righteousness of Jesus. Can you say amen? This the unchanging position of Scripture is, as Paul declares in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah puts it this way. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. In the honesty of our hearts, we know that today. Later in verse 18, he balances the warning. He says we should take hold of true righteousness and should not withdraw from true wisdom. And the way to do this is to walk in the fear of the Lord. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Proverbs 9 and 10. Jesus Christ to the believer is wisdom and righteousness. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So it is evident that God's people need not manufacture these blessings themselves, but God himself is our wisdom, and he is our righteousness. Why destroy yourself? The third question that I want to deal with this evening or the last one. The Apostle Paul himself questioned throughout his writings, Peter questioned in his writings. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane said, If it be thy will, let this cup pass from thee. So these questions asked by Solomon of old are the probing questions in the minds of humanity. People have said today, before we deal quickly with the last one, people are saying, but Pastor, why? Why, if there is a God, is he allowing this? Why, if there is a God, why is this occurring? Some years ago, some time ago, rather, I watched, I listened to Open Line. I don't listen to Open Line very much because it drives my blood pressure right through the room. But this day, I was on my way to the hospital, and I had the Open Line on. And the moderator was on, and this lady came on talking about a flood and our problems. And she talked about the insurance company was denying any responsibility. And she said to the moderator, she said, well, I want you to know that they are saying it is an act of God. And because it's an act of God, I'm not going to get any coverage. The moderator, and I'm not sure his religious beliefs or where he is, but this he said. He said, it's a funny thing. Nobody believes in God, but when everything goes wrong, they blame God. Isn't that where we are today? We blame God for everything that's going wrong. But the blame today is squarely on man's choices, upon sinful nature, upon sinful desires, and upon the work of the enemy in our world. Amen. Thirdly, this evening, Solomon says, Why die before your time? Verse 17. He says, Do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? 
Psalms 19 and 10 says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Then he goes on and the psalmist goes on to say, Teach us to number our days. This is not meant that we should number our days and say, I'm going to live 21 years and then I'm going to die. The psalmist is remembering it to teach us to number our days. In other words, to live righteously before God in a relationship with a God that created us. We need to go back to the book of beginnings. We have already discussed, we see the results of the fall. And I want to say tonight, God never intended for death to visit the Garden of Eden. It was never God's desire that there be a funeral home or a cemetery or a palliative care or that there would be a hospital. God created man in perfection. And if man had only listened to God and not disobeyed and eaten of the fruit, there would be no sweat in the ground. There would be no sickness, stress, or sin that have entered our world. But it has come in the beginnings of time. Pastor, how do you know that? Thank you for asking. I'll tell you how I know it. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, referring to Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. Then Paul writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, For as by man came death, as man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. We know that death is inevitable for all. We cannot totally avoid it. But Solomon reminds us that there can be a premature death. Solomon here reminds us many have believed the teaching. And once your number is up, your number is up. So if you're meant to die, you'll die whether in a car crash or by blood clot. But Solomon reminds us if one is choosing wickedness or living as a fool, they can die prematurely. Certainly there are examples in the scriptures. And I want to go through some. Listen to this. Abel died as a result of the murder that his brother committed because his brother had the sin of jealousy. This was not God's will for Abel, but sin brought the first murder in the first family. Nabal died because of his disobedience. Absalom died because of his sinful actions against his father, and he hung from the oak, and as he did, a sword went through him, and later David cried and said, Oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom, that I would have died for you. Absalom died because of his rebellion. We see Saul fell on his own sword. The Bible says Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord. He even consulted a medium for guidance. Did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death, turned his kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Saul fell on his sword because of his rebellion against God. 
Then we read in the New Testament of Ananias and Sapphira, two believers that died prematurely. Why? Because they lied to the Holy Ghost. They conspired in their own house. We're going to sell this land. We're going to give the money to the church. But what we're going to do is we're going to keep back a portion for ourselves. And we'll bring in just another portion to the preachers. And then we'll get praise in the church. But what happens? The Bible says they both died and they were carried to their burial just outside of the churchyard here in today they died prematurely because they lied to the Holy Spirit oh then we have the instructions of the Lord's table we don't like reading this but it's here first Corinthians chapter 11 where all eat and drink without discerning the Lord's body eat and drink judgment against themselves for this reason many are weak and ill and some have already died there are a few, just a few examples in the scripture of people because of choices that they made have died of premature death. How can we reconcile and say to a mother who was killed by a drunken driver, this was God's desire for their lives. No, it wasn't. Sin and corruption brought that death. Now dare I walk into a mother whose son has been murdered and say this was God's desire. God chose this for him. No, he didn't. Somebody's sinful nature allowed death to occur. Do you hear me today? There are premature deaths. Solomon is saying, don't be over-righteous. Don't live as a fool. Because if you do, you may die prematurely. Therefore, we need to be people of righteousness. People of godliness. Our minds, it's ever etched in our minds of 9-11. Do you really believe that God sat in heaven and said, I'm going to wipe out 5,000 people at the hands of Muslim extremists? No, he did not. Somebody, because they believe in a false religion and a false message, took an airplane as a weapon and went into the towers and took innocent lives. They died as a result of the curse of sin. Therefore, today, we need to be people who live righteously and according to His Word. How many foolish acts are we doing? I said it this morning. A lot of us live foolishly with lots of things. Not only sin. Doctor tells us we shouldn't eat this and eat that. What do we do? We pour salt beef even though we know our blood pressure's gone to the roof. Come on. The Bible tells us to be people of wisdom. And if we're not people of wisdom, we have missed the point. Amen. Some years ago, my wife and I, we usually go every year for our annual. So my wife and I were going, and she was thinking, I told you this story before, but I got to tell you, hey, this was a good one. <laughs> anyway, she was telling me I had a little bit of weight put up. So she was telling me, you know, guaranteed, guaranteed your cholesterol's out. Guaranteed you might, your sugar might be out. You're going to have some lot changes after your blood work comes back. I can't listen to her. I was saying, dear Lord, please, I can't give up salt fish and I can't give up salt meat. Eat, Lord, please, let it be okay. Now, my wife watches what she eats. She's more healthy than I am. So we go to the doctor. We get our blood work. She's waiting for the phone call so that I got to go back and I'll go on this nice diet because I can't eat salt meat anymore. You hear what I'm saying? The brick pudding. Anyway, the doctor called and he wanted to see her and not me. I said, what did he say? She said, he wants to see me and not you. I said, why? Because she said, your blood work is perfect. You don't have cholesterol or sugar, but I, my cholesterol is a little bit up. I said, thank you, Lord God. <laughs> Hear me today. We need to use wisdom in our lives. And that's why we don't need 
to die prematurely. Now I'm longing for heaven. I'm longing for heaven. One of these days I'm going to die. And I said it this morning, hey, persons will make me look prettier when I'm dead than when I'm alive. It's going to happen. You come and look in my box and you'll say with me for me. Oh, God bless his little heart. Now, guess what? I'm looking forward to heaven, but I'm also enjoying this world. I'm enjoying my family. I'm enjoying the presence of God. I'm enjoying touching life with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said, Lord, let me continue to live and enjoy the abundant life so we can touch others with this glory gospel that has been so good. So I enjoy loving. I don't know if my wife wants me to live the hunger or not, but I hope I do. If I don't, I'm still going to heaven. But I want to live in the abundant life. You see, although the Bible says that life and death are ultimately in the hands of God. Our behavior can affect the length of our lives here on earth. So we need to avoid wicked and foolish behavior as we bring it to a close. Your musicians can return. We don't understand all about life and death. But this we do know. That if we trust in God, we can live in the abundant life that he has promised. Solomon concluded these questions that he has. The proper attitude towards life is found in verse 18. He says, it is good that you should take hold of true righteousness. And from the wicked world in which we live, withhold not your hand from he who fears God shall come forth from them all. The godly way to live, of course, is he who fears God shall come forth with them all. To fear God is a truth that we respect him and we live in his presence with his peace. Solomon now sets forth the truth that we live in a fallen world. There is no righteousness apart from the gift of God. All have been affected by the virus of evil. He declares in verse 20 to verse 22. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does, who does good and never sins. But the scripture is this clear as he looks and gives heed to his own light. The searcher, the preacher goes on to tell us how we can know this truth. In verses 21 to 22. He says, do not give heed to all the things men say, lest you hear your servants cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. This is a remarkable revelation of a keenly intelligent and very resourceful man found about his own life. We must remember, Solomon is honestly recording his own experience. Grasp these things, he says. Fear God and escape a life that is self-focused with excess. Grasp the things about ourselves that are more observed by others. Escape the clutches of imbalance through the perfections of Jesus Christ. Live your life for Christ. Enjoy the abundant life He has promised. And be keenly aware that there is an eternal destiny for those who turn to Jesus Christ. Therefore, I live with the presence of God. I will die with the presence of God. And I will live in eternity with the presence of God because I know the answers to the questions. Questions of life, death, and eternity are found in a man named Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know him today? Don't be worried about what's happening in our world. He will guide your life. He will guide your steps. He will answer your questions. When we preached this morning, little did we know 
another of our church family would walk through this terrible time of sorrow. What is life? We don't have all the answers, but we are living in a fallen world, but we serve a perfect Savior. Heads bowed in this service this evening. Heavenly Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name, thanking you for the great grace of God. We thank you that you can enjoy the abundant life, even though sin has driven us from the Garden of Eden. We live with, because of the cross of Jesus, with the hope of a restored Eden, where there will be no more sickness, nor death, nor suffering, nor pain. We thank you for the hope of your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Our musicians are going to lead us as we do. Let us reflect this evening on the questions of life. And let us thank God today. We found the answer in Jesus. Let's sing together. Would you like to stand as we sing together the scene? Praise.
questions about life I just don't understand. But why don't you ask Christ into your life? Why don't you pray with me now, dear Lord Jesus? Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I acknowledge you as Lord of my life, who God hath risen from the dead. Now I claim my salvation. In Jesus' name, if you prayed that prayer, would you let us know? We're so thankful that God takes what we're facing in life, makes us who we are today. We're going to sing this again. We're going to have Brother Pastor Moss going to pray for us. Someone will bring him a mic. We're going to have him pray in a few moments. After he prays, we're going to go offline. We want to thank you for watching our service this evening. We're going to sing this again. Then Pastor Moss will lead us in prayer, and we'll go offline this evening and sing it together
section A and section B. After they've left the building, then the other two sections will leave and uh, the